Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? I'm all right. I'm really glad to have you home. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's been a week away one way or the other with the mom conference that Cassie and I were both at and hanging out with a few other bits and pieces that didn't take me to the museum. We left you all alone, I'm sorry. We've been doing lots of things with acronym societies. So much so that I'm getting them mixed up and then Siri steps in and mispronounces things and corrects me. So we've got AAM, AMM, AASLH. M-A-L-H-M, M-N-H-S. A-C-H-S. A-C-H-S. Wait, that's us. (laughs) But we are going to be talking about which one of those letter clusters today. (laughs) It's the Association of Midwest Museums. A-M-M. They are the humans of choice right now. And they're Midwest Museums, as the name would suggest. They're founded in 1927, actually. And the history world is a a loosely organized group of very independent humans that we come together loosely to talk about problems and solutions, but then we go back to our own worlds and do what we want anyway. Um, But AMM is the regional group. So it's the upper Midwest group of humans, whereas something like AASLH is a national group or uh, MALM would be just a state. And sometimes there's like an upper Northwest Minnesota group. And so this is our slightly larger area. It gets complicated. It really does. People always ask us, how are all of the museums connected? And we're connected through the love of what we do and are wanting to get to know what all of our projects are and how other people are tackling things. And I know you have intermittent Zoom calls with AMM. Yeah, there's a a group, it's kind of a walk-in Zoom call of directors that get together a couple times a month. And there's usually a themed conversation so that we don't just end it in a complaint session. So there's a themed chat where we talk about things that we're experiencing in the museum. And one of them happened to be COVID and digitization projects and how people were carrying digital projects forward from COVID. And that was a really interesting one for us because we did so much digitally. And that Zoom conversation uh, spread into them asking us to join uh, an essential questions series that they were putting on. So we were one of eight organizations who got together and talked about the digitization and COVID. Um, And so we recorded this conversation a few weeks ago with AMM and they put it out on YouTube. You can see the actual video of us chit-chatting if you want to see. Our Zoom boxes. Yes, the Zoom boxes with our radiant faces and bright smiles. But we asked and they approved to let us edit a portion of the interview for you today. So enjoy, we'll catch you on the flip side. 
Hello, and welcome to one of our eight case study museum interviews for the AMM Essential Questions program series. Over the course of this series, we're finding out how museums are faring today, three years after the start of the pandemic, and civic unrest following George Floyd's murder. We'll be chatting with eight different museums across the Midwest about what they've learned about themselves and their audiences, what changes they've made that stuck, and what new models or approaches they've tried. These interviews are talk show style and feature guest moderators. Today's featured museum is the Anoka County Museum, well, Historical Society and Museum in Anoka, in Anoka, Minnesota. And today's interviewer is Richard Josie Jr., Principal of Collective Journeys. Richard, I'm gonna pass the mic to you. All right, thank you. So, uh, Anoka County Historical Society. Um, so first question, you know, cause we wanna start in, as we think about the, you know, the pandemic. And so Rebecca, I, I would just like to start with you as to, you know, when we reflect on the pandemic, um, did it present you with some, you know, we're hearing about, you know, opportunities, you know, challenges or struggles, you know, that the pandemic presented to us. Um, I'd just love to hear like, you know, from your standpoint, like what did the pandemic do for you all? Uh, it, it's not a popular thing to say, but we really enjoyed COVID. Um, it gave us, it really gave us the opportunity to rethink everything we were doing. You know, it was museums never get the opportunity to just close. And there's always the public coming in. There's always the interaction. There's always outreach. And we had the opportunity to just stop. And we rethought open hours. We thought about how we could better serve people, you know, in the digital community. We thought about who we were as staff. Uh, we rethought a lot of board interactions. We were working with the Facing Change program at that point with the, um, you know, a few other museums down in the cities. It gave us the space to really dig into that because people weren't driving back and forth. Um, so it really gave us the opportunity to stop and uh, consider what was important to us and where we wanted to go in the future. Hmm. Thank you. Um, Sarah, you volunteer coordinator extraordinaire with, with, with a few other things what did the pandemic from your vantage point you know how did it what was going on with the pandemic for you uh well from the volunteer standpoint a lot of the volunteer projects paused because people aren't coming into the museum to work on things uh we're not we weren't going to festivals and whatnot and so my time kind of shifted a little bit into all right so what are the ways that we are reaching people. Like a volunteer coordinator, you're reaching people a lot. So let's keep those relationships of people knowing who we are in social media spaces and how we can showcase the collection when people can't access it physically mm. in the building. Right, right. Well, thank you. And Cassie, I know, um... You came on in 2021, right? Yeah. Right about that. But you still have some remnants of it that you were coming into and, you know, dealing with afterwards. So I'd love to hear, you know, how, how it impacted you as well. Yeah. So um, when I started here as an intern, it was definitely, um, I'm a history major, so I've been to museums before, and it was definitely um, a considerably different experience. Uh, we were talking as a group about how, um, you know, my perspective is kind of, I've never known the historical society in any other way except for um you know this virtual kind of component always being a very core 
um, portion of what we're what we're doing here. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's interesting when we consider, you know, the impact of, you know, these pandemics. Um, and Rebecca, I'm coming back to a point that you were saying earlier in terms of, you know, the the different way that it impacted you all. Everyone else, you know, you're hearing about, you know, how much of a challenge I was struggling, and I'm not suggesting that it wasn't a challenge or struggle, but I'm curious to kind of dig in there a little bit, thinking about, um, you know, the, the, the impact of the pandemic. I hear that it's giving you all some degree of strength. What kind of revelations have you had from that? Um, revelations, uh, we're good. I think that that really is a, was a revelation. You know, we're a small historical society, you know, in, in money as well as in staff. And for a lot of it, you, you struggle to find some meaning in what you're doing, to find your place within a larger organizations, to, to make a mark doing something um, that's fighting against the stereotype of just being the coffee clutch on the corner. Right. And, and so this gave us the opportunity to stand up and say, you know, we are smart people. We are able, we are prepared, we are capable. We can in any circumstance think our way through it, react through it and do it really well. And I think that confidence has really followed us in the last couple of years and, and is going to see the organization to a completely different level moving forward. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, I think it was Sarah, you were saying earlier when we talked uh, before the call on um, some of the work that you do aside from the volunteers, you also do some work on some digital offerings. Yeah, so scheduling all of the social media posts, you know, Facebook, Instagram, those places, uh, recording and editing our podcast which comes out twice a month on the first and third Friday of every month. And this is our third season. We have not missed an episode. Wow. I'm so proud of us. And um, creating digital video offerings of programs. So sometimes they're 45 minutes long. Sometimes they're five minutes long. Sometimes they're two minutes for quick shares, but recording and editing those together and putting them out in the world or digitizing things for people to see, uh, those sorts of things. So I've loved exploring those pieces of what we can share from the collection in that way. So let me make sure I got this right. <laughs> this pandemic comes. Yes. You all make this shift to begin to offer, you know, more digital offerings. Um, what, like, did your visit, and I, I hate to say visitation, but like, did your engagement grow? Did you see your, some growth in your engagement? Yeah, absolutely. At the, at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, we really wanted to do ways that would engage the entire county. And we did this, um, like, hashtag tour Anoka County. We were connecting with people in every single city of of our county and asking some of them to send in little videos of themselves in places back when you couldn't even like meet people um so they would send in this little clip of them walking around their local park or um the church in centerville and 
the engagement of people interacting with those posts that they were exploring a new piece of the county when they were stuck inside was super fun. And the joy that we had in that creating, well, we kind of kept on going forward. Huh. Yeah, one of the other things that we did right out of the gate, like within a week of the shutdown was to put out a survey. And we had, you know, a selection of questions, but we had over 220 responses from that survey. And we put out two more subsequent surveys to track people's reaction to COVID through the, the spring and early summer. Um, so I think we we took the skills that we were already doing and we, we started just tracking um, what was going on. You know, like Sarah said, just engaging with the other humans that were out there in a way that they were able to at that point, meeting people where they were. Hey, Cassie, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, you know, because you deal a lot with, you know, actual items that, you know, touch, feel, see. And then we're talking about this sort of transition to um, making them available digi digitally. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any challenges with that? I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, from your perspective as to how that, you know, how, how, you, how, how you all were kind of navigating that. Um, during COVID, it was like, well, where do we start, right? revamping what, you know, kind of thinking about what our um, collection looks like um, and focusing on specialized areas and, and um, trying to, you know, incorporate different communities around the, the county. Got you. So the, the, the items that you have within, um, that you, you know, digitize and the means by which you, how you make it available online, um, is that what, is all part of what we call the vault, this sort of subscription service that you all have? So no, uh, the digitization that I was talking about um, was um, it's on collective access. So we have a database where we upload pictures um, and um, um, you can go on to, uh, I believe it's MN Collections and you can look at uh, different things that we have um, in our collection. And the vault is something, um, it's a pay to play sort of a thing. And um, I've made a, a couple of videos um, about, you know, oh, come with me to deaccession this item so people can really see what it's like on the on the back end, right? Because a lot of people think of um, a collections manager and they don't think of the person that's making the videos and, hey, what's happening back there? They just know there's a person going through boxes. It's been a nice way for the collections manager to kind of get out there and engage with, with those other, other humans. I have to say, I, I love I love the idea of um, making it accessible for people to understand how we do what we do. You know, how history is, is, is constructed, you know, how we pull it together. I've been having a lot of conversations about that here recently. Um, but then for you all to kind of put it into a, a subscription service, that just seems so interesting. Um, what sort of lessons have y'all learned about that? Like, has that gone well just out of the gate? Um, I think from my perspective, we're in an odd position now in time where we've got three generations that we're trying to reach with communication. Mm. So you've still got the paper and pen folks. You've got the email crowd in the middle that are, are still pretty good with, um, you know, email blasts and, and digital newsletters and things. And then you have another group that's considerably younger that's grown up with Netflix and you know other subscription type 
ways to interact with the things that they love or Patreons, you know, so that they can choose to support specific methods of communicating. And so the vault was our attempt at that subscription communication. And initially we offered it to our existing members for free just to, as, as a benefit of their membership, as a perk. Um, and now it's a $5 a month subscription that has grown exponentially from where it started. Um, you know, so I see a, a definite growth pattern as far as, you know, bringing in financial help for the museum. And the challenge to us now is to continue to create content that's worthy of the $5 a month subscription instead of just, here's the thing from our collection digitized, you can look at it. You know, mm -hmm. so that was our baseline. And so now we need to up the ante for ourselves. And so that's where these videos that Cassie's making or the, like the lunch with the director um, things where it's just vault members that can come to, you know, have a, a chit chat with me or um, some of Sarah's programs, you know, that instead of being purchased separately, you know, they're part of the subscription. Y'all, y'all might change the face of the field up for that one. Like I'm so fascinated by that idea. It sounds like you all made this really inspiring shift during the pandemic, and you all feel pretty good about it. From you know how you all talked about it. Um, you know, in our world, we're always talking about you know how you measure success. You know what what is success? Um. What have you been able to do, if anything, to kind of, to, like, what do you do to assess whether it's successful or not? Like, are there, you know, because you mentioned surveys earlier, like, are there some findings and whatnot that you all have come from, uh, come out of the survey with? Uh, the survey for COVID specifically was really interesting because the, the, the immediate answers that we got from the first survey were really raw and they really reflected what people were feeling that particular second. The, we always talk about DEAI, you know, we always talk about accessibility. We always talk about going where people are and making sure that people feel welcome in the space. And suddenly with COVID, everybody was homebound, mm. right? And so suddenly the disability community specifically was, you, you had a flavor of that. Everybody had a flavor of not being able to get in your car and go somewhere. And, and the restrictions that that put on and the frustrations that so many people feel in our society and the sense of not belonging and the sense of your community being upended and the sense of nothing is how it should be anymore. And, and just all of these, these things that pockets of our community feel on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think capitalizing on that helped, helped people remember that, you know, accessibility and, and diversity is, is an everyday commitment that organizations need to make to their community. So we were able to take that back to our board and, and say, you know what, it worked. You know, there, there doesn't need to be a whole lot of planning. It doesn't need to be a strategic plan. It just, it worked. What we did was good and we can keep this moving forward and we can be a better organization as a result. You know, as far as, you know, measuring results, you know, it was proof to the board that our, our whim of experimentation was worth it. 
Yeah, and you know what? You set me up perfectly because I was I was just about to ask with something like this. I'm very curious as to the board's perspective. You know, was that was that difficult to to win them over, or or I'm just curious as to how how did that play out? Again, it was another gift from COVID. Uh, they didn't have a choice. You know, everyone had to use Zoom. That was it. You know, you, you had to use OneDrive. You had to use the mechanisms that were in place because you couldn't stop into the museum to get a paper copy anymore. The option wasn't right. there. So it pushed people who were uncomfortable into a place where they were very uncomfortable uh, for a short space of time. But because everybody was floundering together, they didn't feel as self-conscious. Um, I think if we had gone to the board with any of these ideas, you know, the podcast, the murder, anything prior to COVID, um, we would have had a much larger of an uphill battle to try to get them through. Got you. you know, Got you. So, so yeah. So from that standpoint, um, I think it, it really, the board is very supportive of us. And, and now that they learned the thing, it's becoming standard. Like we can't get rid of it. You learned how to do the thing. Let's keep the thing going. So the last program that we hosted in person at the museum, we made sure to have um, people have the option to sign in and watch digitally as well. So having both going at the same time. And we recorded it so oh. that it can go on the vault. Yeah, so and, I could add and captions and then go on the vault. <laughs> Accessibility. There exactly. you go. Um, I'm also curious as to, um, I imagine maybe it's the same, Sarah, with the volunteers. You know, we're all dealing with the same thing. So it was kind of easy to kind of get, get the volunteers, you know, to go with this as well. Yeah. Uh, the volunteers right in COVID, things kind of paused in our regular programming there, <laughs> volunteer programming. Uh, and now have shifted a little bit more towards our volunteer needs are targeted towards, you know, those festivals and tours and more out into the community things to spread our history tentacles. Man, that's a poor phrase. Uh, and less of the people coming in, but in the volunteer world, we're making use of our resources digitally um, with things such as sign up, sign up genius. So I can put a blast out there and say, okay, we need these shifts for this week long county fair. And people are much more likely to, you know, sign up for the shift that works for them instead of emailing me for options, mm -hmm. emailing back and that there was a barrier to helping in that, in that sense. So we're kind of going with the flow on that one. And if you know anybody that wants to be a ghost tour guide. <laughs> I might know a few people. Let me look into my Rolodex. <laughs> hey, um, so this place is y'all in a very interesting sort of place. You have this successful range of digital options, you know, for people, but you also had, you know, your in-person you know, programs. And so how are y'all, you know, what, how are y'all negotiating between, you know, the beloved in-person experience, you know, that people love 
And then this new thing that you're doing online, how are you all kind of balancing and like, what are y'all's thoughts in terms of how you're negotiating that? There's, there's no way that we can deny that we had 45,000 eyeballs on our website last year. Mm. We had 4,000 people that came in the museum to see the physical exhibit. So those numbers are so drastically different that we can't, we can't argue with ourselves that putting money and time and effort and energy into a physical exhibit is more important than putting it into the website and the digital programming. You know, we, we just can't, you know, the, the demand is clearly there. Um, so the balance to strike there is, you know, the exhibit hall, maybe this year we chose a storytelling theme. So everything we put into the exhibit hall will be how to tell your story in this particular manner. And if your story looks like this, here's an example of how your story was told by someone else. Hmm. But it's compartmentalized. So they're, they're pop-up exhibits of, you know, maybe three to four foot square. And, and they, they're easily changed out. So as a collection item comes in, or as we rediscover a collection item, or as we meet someone who has a really interesting story, we can drop that into the exhibit hall in you know, relatively short order and with relatively little time investment by comparison to you know, flipping the entire 3,000 square feet into a cool looking exhibit. That's you. Okay. Um, Cassie, what sort of implications has this had in terms of your work? It's actually made it a, a little bit easier. So it's, it's tough to, um, especially when you're making a, an enormous exhibit, um, what things are we going to put on display? Like what things do we have that are going to, um, you know, speak to the same exhibit you know, for half of our exhibit hall, that can be, that can be a challenge. And sometimes it can be sparse. Whereas when you have this pop-up sort of a um, um, setup going on, you can find those most important items or those most, um, those items with the most reach and really display those. My time, you know, uh, is much more well spent doing these, these pop-up exhibits. And I feel like people appreciate my efforts um, more when I'm, going and getting those artifacts yeah what i'm thinking about right now is care more specifically self-care throughout the pandemic you know uh there was a lot going on in terms of you know be sure you take care of yourself be sure you take care of yourself be sure you take care of yourself and we talked about sort of through the pandemic you morphed and adjusted and you know and and, and looking at things a little differently did the did the pandemic impact how you all look at self-care? Annie, I, I would just love to hear, like, are you taking care of yourself now? Like, I, I'm curious as to what, what the pandemic did for you in terms of how you're looking after yourself and, and your staff and your volunteers and, and everybody. We are an extremely lucky group in that we look out for each other and we have each other tapping, tapping us on the shoulder and saying, get out of here, you've done enough, or shut down, you've done enough, or Sarah, take your flipping PTO before you lose it by the end of the year. <laughs> and I think that's really special to, to us as a staff. Um, you know, the, we have volunteers that 
make catnip toys for, we all have cats. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, we have that type of relationship with people that, you know, it goes beyond just the brownies and donuts showing up in the great, in the, in the break room. Good. Good. That's going to be a, um, like, I, I'm, I'm starting to hear this a lot in terms of, you know, how people are, you know, managing themselves now and that the pandemic was basically a catalyst for how we look in the mirror a little bit more and see where we, you know, need to care for self. Um, I just got a few minutes left and I have, I really have one last question that I just would love to hear from each of you all. And that is, you all have this platform now and all these people are watching you all and listening. Um, we're talking about the success of the, 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 the digital world that y'all have embarked in. Um, just a variety of things you spoke about. What is something that you would want to convey to the field at large now? Um, that may be looking at similar changes that you all have made? Uh, from my perspective as a director would be to let your staff be wonderful and, and not to hamper who they are and to let the, the idea generation happen and to then believe in them to say, you know, when Sarah turned around and said, I can learn how to produce a video. Sure, why not? You know, and what do we have to lose, really? And and it turned out great. Um, you know, so to to recognize that the people that work in museums are fabulously gifted people, and and very conscientious as a general rule, and and the people that I've met in the museum world are not ones that are going to, you know, screw the system over. They're they're really not. They're they're too good of people. So to let them experiment and give them that space to do the thing. And I think that's that's been a wonderful lesson. Oh, cool. Thank you. I think also we're good researchers. And that's a skill that extends beyond delving into the boxes that you so carefully put on the shelf. Mm -hmm. That it goes into we can learn how to do just about anything. YouTube and LinkedIn learning are amazing. Mm -hmm. You can learn just to do just about anything. Yeah, and and you know, have some. I mean, I'm starting off, so um, you know, I'm kind of a beginner here. Um, and just having, you know, obviously being on a team that's confident in my abilities um, is helpful. But uh, just be confident in yourself. Um, you have the support system there. Um, be confident that you can go out you know, read a thing, learn how to do it, put in some time and effort, um, and you'll be able to, to get there. And if you stumble, we're both there. Yeah, don't dwell on it. The, the beautiful thing that, that, that y'all have said, I've been doing um, some work here recently on psychological safety and how that, you know, contributes to, you know, creating a space where DEAI is just normal. Um, that it can the EAI exists easily in spaces where people feel psychologically safe. And in the conversation that you all, all the things that you just said could be an ad for psychological <laughs> safety elsewhere, because that's what it really boils down to is sort of inclusion safety and contributor safety and um, learner safety. And so I just thank you all so much for, uh, thank you all for your time. 
and your sharing. I think people in the field are going to really benefit from the things y'all have said. So thank you. Well, thank you for having us. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hi, my name is Diana Nurberg, and I'm a librarian for Anoka County Library, and this is your Library Minute. First, we have Tomorrow Mind, thriving at work with resilience, creativity, and connection, now and in an uncertain future, by Gabriella Rosen Kellerman. This book claims to offer the blueprint for creating a connection-driven and resilient workplace amid the changing and turbulent times. The author offers advice which can be put into action, helping readers gain the skills to be happier, more productive employees. Next, we have St. Paul Almanac, Volume 12, Resistance and Resilience by Kimberly Nightingale. Though published just before the pandemic, this volume eerily foreshadows themes that would soon be ubiquitous during and throughout the pandemic. Through stories, poetry, art, and more, this volume of the St. Paul Almanac embodies what it is to strive for the organization's vision of a world of equitable communities made strong through literature and the arts. Finally, we have This Was 2020, Minnesotans Write About Pandemics and Social Justice in a Historic Year by Ramsey County Library. For a hyper-local look at how the pandemic and social unrest changed life in 2020, check out this book of stories, poems, and more. Collected by the Ramsey County Library, contributions to the book were written during online writing workshops and serve as an archive depicting life during that time. We hope these resources enhance your experience of this podcast episode. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. You'd think by now we'd be used to listening to ourselves on a recording, wouldn't you? I'm a little bit more used to it than you because I have to edit it all together. I had to cut 15, 20 minutes from this episode and it was really hard i say that all the time but it's hard (laughs) we thank you for your time and talent in the editing department by the way thank you but there's a bonus for this one if people are free on the 15th true enough do tell they are having an official q a session so with the interviewer and Rebecca, Cassie, and I are all on, and anybody that wants to join, you don't have to be a member of AMM. You don't have to be an employee of a museum. Anybody can join and ask us questions about anything related to that interview. Now, if someone were interested in joining that live Q&A, Sarah, how could they find out the information about signing up? The easiest way would probably be to go to our website, anocacountyhistory.org, and you'll edit it so that there's a wonderful button that you can just click on from our homepage. Perhaps I've already edited it. Did it. it. On that note of enunciation, thank you everybody for listening, and we're so excited to share all of the different pieces of what goes into being a county museum. A full-on nonprofit all by itself who would love your donations to keep us running for the future. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anocacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. 
We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.